0: Hi, I'm Paul Shiele, and you're listening to the Public Relations Podcast, Smoke Signal. Today, I'm joined by Dan Wilcock, Sustainability and Governance Manager for the UN Global Compact Network Australia. The UN Global Compact Network may be the biggest movement you haven't heard of. A special initiative of the UN Secretary General, it is a call to companies everywhere to align their operations and strategies with 10 universal principles in the areas of human rights, labor, environment, and anti-corruption, and take action in support of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. With more than 18,000 companies across 160 countries, it is the world's largest corporate sustainability initiative. Before we jump into the the, the topic of conversation today, which is all about greenwashing and ESG washing. Dan, do you want to give us some more background on the UN Global Compact Network, your goals, and perhaps to start just a little bit about your background and your passion for this area?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Paul. really appreciate uh, you having me on. And you're making it easy for me because you gave such a great introduction about the UN Global Compact. All I could add to that is the numbers are continuing to grow. As you point out, this initiative started under Kofi Annan when he was Secretary General around Y2K. And we're bumping up around 20,000 business members around the world now. So what what we do here in Australia as the local network is we bring Australian businesses together to align with those 10 principles you mentioned and work towards progress on the sdgs so in practical terms we convene the australian business community around esg issues provide education courses resources for for them to develop and embed sustainability in their operations and so for for me personally it's a great fit with my background and passions i'd say my sustainability interest really came from my background in sport and outdoor activities particularly someone who grew up dedicating a lot of life to to snow following snow around and, and snowboarding in Australia, that it's it's always been a bit marginal. So I, I've certainly had my focus on sustainability issues through through my connections with the outdoors. Tell
0: me, how do Australian organisations uh, compare in this space? Are we are we batting above our average, or are we still got a long way to go?
1: Look, I think some of the, some of the reports that are coming out at the moment around where we are on climate, where we are at the halfway point of agenda 2030 and the SDGs, I think we've got a long way to go, um, globally. So, you know, we can't, we, we can't sort of escape that conclusion from, from what the science is telling us at the moment. But in terms of how we compare to other parts of the world, I think it's fair to say that Europe, you know, tends to lead the game here. Australia's playing a bit of catch up. But I think we've got we've got excellent professionals and a more favorable political environment at the moment that's really starting to see some momentum gathering.
0: So let's talk about sustainability, the push to net zero, climate change, deforestation, coral reef bleaching, single use plastics. These are just a few of the the sustainability topics that today need to be front and center for public relations and communication professionals. But it seems like as sustainability has become more mainstream, so have the missteps. So let's start by defining some of the terminology. Greenwashing, bluewashing, whitewashing, what does it all mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great place to start, Paul. So first thing, there's a lot of terminology, as you say, that out there, um, new terms all the time, it's kind of hard to keep up with. So we can distinguish between some terms in, in everyday speech, I'll get to some of those in a second, and then... These terms are quite different from the legal tests that apply in this area. So greenwashing isn't a term you'll find in Australian law at the moment, for example. So so we'll keep that distinction in mind for a second. So I think people are pretty familiar with what greenwashing means, sort of rep- misrepresenting the extent to which a good service strategy is environmentally friendly, sustainable or ethical. Bluewashing is a similar concept. The blue in bluewashing is actually... Derived from the UN blue that features in our logo, et cetera. And that's so that's based around the UN Global Compact and in a broader sense around social and ethical claims that don't have a legitimate basis. So, you know, fair trade, slavery free, ethical, those sorts of social claims you could think of for blue washing. Um, SDG washing is, is a term that's out there and that's reporting on positive contributions to the sustainable development goals, but ig- ignoring other aspects. So sort of picking and choosing selectively, um, where there may be negative things. Green hushing is another term that, that we're hearing a lot more about. And that's under reporting or hiding sustainability credentials to really fly under the radar in terms of investors and other stakeholders. So that's, that's also a damaging practice too. But, well we we're sort of because there's such a broad range of, of topics there, but similar principles um, at play. We're we're using ESG washing now, which which really is a, a broader term that covers misrepresentations in, in various areas of environmental, social, or governance performance. But there are many other terms out there, but the legal meaning as I alluded to is is quite different. So if you go searching around looking for okay, what's what's the offense of greenwashing, you you won't find it. So greenwashing Washing is the everyday term which legally is, is considered under prohibitions against misleading, deceptive, false representations, which are pretty familiar to marketing professionals who, who've dealt with the Australian Consumer Law and uh, Corporations Act and ASIC Act, ASIC Act requirements in the past. So um, really, it's a new subject matter for existing legal principles.
0: So ESG washing is almost the colloquial term. It's put into law in a different way. But I guess what we are seeing, though, is this ESG washing get called out more by media and also by the likes of the ACCC or ASIC. Can you talk through some of those high profile examples and what what we're seeing happening in some of these?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So full disclosure, in a, in a past life, I was a lawyer with the ACCC and with its equivalent in Canada, the Competition Bureau. So, you know, hold I hope that
0: against you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: Recovery. Um, no, the, so so it was focused on these cases. And the way I'd describe it is that greenwashing and, and all its ilk um, really came to light first in the consumer-facing context. And we're seeing a a movement towards it appearing a lot more in the financial services context recently in the disclosure um, aspect there. So keeping in mind that it first really emerged in the consumer protection context, it seemed the automotive sector was was really prone to these kinds of problems early on. So you might recall the so-called diesel gate matter, um, which impacted on a lot of Volkswagen cars. So, you know, a range of their cars were were marketed as sort of clean diesel vehicles. And this was a really egregious case where where the vehicles were programmed to operate cleanly under testing conditions. Then in real world conditions, they could detect the change and they emitted illegal levels of of, uh, NOx or nitrogen oxides um, into the atmosphere. So that was probably the case that really brought uh, really brought greenwashing onto the global stage, and you know Volkswagen was ordered to pay 125 million in penalties in Australia after breaching the Australian consumer law, and and that was a record penalty in, in that space at the time and for for you know quite deliberately supplying vehicles that didn't comply with environmental standards in US authorities in you know the the dieselgate scandal they extracted 25 billion billion with a b in fines penalties civil damages and restitution so you know it's no no small matter But even going back before that, in 2008, ACCC took action against General Motors Holden at the time, was dealing in Saab vehicles, and there was a green campaign which promoted the environmentally friendly nature of Saab vehicles. So this stuff's been kicking around for a while. We've all seen other examples out there where you sort of do the double-take or you look at skeptically. Um, You know, the the water cooler talk, I guess the, the Keurig coffee pods, you know, people are Always wondering how, how environmentally friendly and recyclable are these things? And, and, you know, the Canadian Competition Bureau certainly extracted multi-million dollar fines from Kurig for uh, misleading statements about, about how recyclable the pods were uh, across Canada recently too. So lots of examples. As I, Mentioned just uh, earlier, what we're seeing in more recent years is uh, the same issue popping up more in the financial services space. So that's where ASICs really come into play. Um, you know, they have uh, three actions on foot before the courts at the moment, and ASICs making allegations about the way certain investment options are marketed as sustainable when, in fact, the investment options still have exposure to fossil fuels, to gambling, to alcohol, etc. So we'll. We'll see more of that certainly with ASIC and ACCC having greenwashing as a priority right now.
0: Do you think greenwashing, ESG washing is becoming more common or we're just becoming more aware of it? And so it's it's becoming prevalent because there's a greater awareness of that as an issue.
1: So, a mix. I think uh, there's been the first trend is that there's been a huge increase in the appetite for ESG information. So, for businesses, that demand's really been coming from every direction. It's been coming from customers, it's been coming from employees, from their boards of directors, from supply chain partners, from finance um, providers. You know, all these groups. Have an interest in what a business is doing on ESG. So, with the rise of demand for that information, of course, businesses want to be saying something, and they want to be saying something positive about what they're doing. And so, it's been accompanied by a, a rise of misinformation. The I think the the sort of best uh, illustration of, of how widespread it is, you know, you've got you've got a spectrum in there from some puffery, you might refer to it, through to outright fabrication. And I think from from my point of view, most of what we see is a bit of sloppiness and hyperbole, but that doesn't excuse it. But uh, the, the ACCC did what they call an internet sweep, and they released the results earlier this year. And they found that more than half, it was 57% of businesses were identified as having made concerning claims about their environmental credentials. So that's that's not a small issue. Um, and they singled out cosmetic, clothing and footwear, food and drink sectors to have the highest proportion of concerning claims.
0: So is there a risk here? Obviously, the UN Sustainable Development Goals are very important. ESG is important. Organisations, business community has an, a big role to play in that. Is there a risk here that it becomes too hard, that businesses say, there's too big a risk here to be doing these things, so we're just going to opt out rather than try it all.:
1: Yeah, look, I think there's some risk of that, and we're seeing that. I mentioned the term green hushing before, that um, anecdotally and, and you know some, some early research I have seen, including our own consultations, uh, you know businesses have considered holding back on their sustainability narratives because of concerns in this area. but is, is that a problem? how big is the problem if if it leads to businesses only making statements where they have reasonable grounds and can make truthful statements that's not a problem if it leads to businesses holding back from you know quite tenuous exaggerated claims then you know things are working the way they should so again i think that the principles are not new, as I mentioned, of, of false misleading conduct and, and our obligations under that law. What is new is this transition period of high demand and all of us, frankly, learning about a whole range of, of uh, new concepts, um, which can be quite complicated and nuanced, and not necessarily easily captured in a in a slogan or a tagline or a, a small product. Personally, I think we're just in a period of transition where uh, where it's important that we're raising awareness of the challenges and uh, you know trying to support the business community in assessing the validity of their claims and just being sensible about the way they make for uh, go forward and tell their narratives.
0: So on that piece of supporting the business community, the UN Global Compact Network, you just went out and did a whole series of consultations with local business, with the Australian business community. What did you hear from them in terms of how they're approaching this now and their concerns or the opportunities they see in this space?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So lots lots of interesting insights from that. So I think first thing is just this this sense this reaction that this is all coming very quickly and i think that's right particularly with the introduction of mandatory um, environmental disclosures the climate related financial disclosures coming and a whole series nature related human capital related disclosures there's a lot to keep on top of and and not necessarily the capacity um already within organisations and even within third-party organisations. So what an overwhelming kind of response is there's a lot happening. We're in a transition period. We need to skill up and close that capacity gap. So likely mistakes will be made. I, I think it was interesting uh, to hear as well that almost a third of the businesses we engaged with on this had, had also fallen victim to greenwashing. So, businesses are consumers too. And so, the impact for a business of falling victim to greenwashing can be magnified if they then pass on those statements and representations about how that impacts on their supply chain. So, um, businesses are are wary in, in both directions. As I mentioned before, really all businesses are dealing with ESG washing, greenwashing in in a consumer-facing context. And and we saw about two-thirds of our respondents were were saying they're now dealing with it in a reporting and disclosure context as well. So that trend will continue. Another really fascinating aspect is that uh, unlike financial disclosures and reporting where we've had decades and decades of experience in in setting up processes, internal checks, balances, responsibility centres, it's very much in flux for ESG statements and claims. In some organizations, the responsibility center is marketing or operations or finance or the ESG team or legal and compliance. So there's, uh, there's a way to go to sort of for, for organizations to figure out what's going to work best. And in terms of streamlining, data gathering, uh, validation, and the preparation of the associated narratives with that, and then I think many businesses also feel that um, while the general principles of misleading, false misleading marketing are uh, helpful, there are um, often some sector or industry-specific issues that that need working through in terms of uh, particular supply chain issues or claims that can be made. And then just circling back to green hushing, it was almost almost all of the respondents, 93% of our respondents, said that green hushing had been considered as, uh, you know, whether whether they should be pulling back on certain um, sustainability and ESG claims as a result of the attention that it's getting right now.
0: So what's your so, advice? I guess let's start with what's your advice for organizations? And then it'd be good to talk a bit about, well, what's the role of PR and communications professionals in this? Because as you've said, right, it's all coming very quickly. We need to skill up. It's not easily captured in a a single kind of term or phrase or nice bit of narrative. So what can organizations do and the, and the PR and comms people within those organizations?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there are a few few pieces to this puzzle. So I think one of the other things we heard from the business community is that they're, they're really looking for more detailed guidance from regulators. Fair enough. They're applying existing concepts in, in what can be new and novel circumstances. So I have to say that ACCC and ASIC have been very responsive. They're both um, they're both working very hard at delivering good and clear guidance to the business community. So ASIC released a very good information um, piece uh, a few months ago, and ACCC is currently consulting on their draft updated draft guidance on environmental and sustainability claims. So I think. Um, making yourself, uh, being informed about what's, what's in those pieces of guidance is, is a really good step because that then allows you to do a lot of uh, internal self-assessment and work uh, and avoid the enforcement side of the stick is obviously the goal. So I think, you know, ACCC has been very clear that businesses should not fear regulatory action from making legitimate and truthful environmental and sustainability claims and that's where we want to be. That that helps avoid uh, greenwashing. So it's developing a bit of confidence about the space, closing that capacity gap, being informed. So both organizations, I understand, have plans to conduct a range of educational activities with businesses. You know, they've been very, uh, we, we've hosted a webinar with, with both those organizations for our participant base. And so they've been very accessible. So I think those sorts of insights are really helpful to seek out. The ACCC guidelines also set out a number of, of really, I think, common sense principles, eight principles at the moment, um, which, which are useful for businesses to follow and, and self-assess. But I think I, I think one of the things that uh, we're hearing and seeing from a range of organizations, as I talked about, the, the responsibility center issue is, is an important one to just make sure you're, you're on top of. You know, have a have a mechanism to bring together you know particularly its your communications marketing teams your sustainability teams and your and your legal teams early on um in developing narratives whether it's for disclosure whether it's for marketing purposes annual reports etc because you you don't want to get far down the track. And, and then the ESG team saying, no, it's not based on fact at all. You've misinterpreted, you know, that this statement that you're making applied to scope one carbon emissions. But when you look at other scopes, it's, you, you know, you can't simplify it this way, you know, whatever the example may be. So I think it's really important to make sure you have those mechanisms, uh, build those mechanisms to, to engage the right cross-functional team in developing sustainability narratives.
0: And are we talking about just the big end of town here or do all businesses have a role to play? Yeah, so
1: all, all businesses are subject to certainly the Australian consumer law requirements. And, and in fact, you know, big businesses start small too. What we'd like to see through all this is that the quality of information we're seeing in the market is good quality information, useful information, and it's actually leading to consumers voting with their, with their feet. And, and buying products and services from organizations who value and take ESG issues seriously. And so we'd love to see the, the smaller innovative companies who are trying to do things right on the ESG front really benefit from, from the investments they're making and, and become successful companies. So I think you know, the markets operate by billions of choices uh, that all of us make collectively. And so with good quality information out there, we'll, we'll see better outcomes.
0: In recent years, we've seen this debate between shareholder primacy moving to stakeholder primacy. It's interesting you say a lot of businesses are looking for that legislative direction. What's your comment to those who say, well, businesses should just stay out of this anyway. It's not, it's not there. They should focus on what they're good at, which is selling widgets and leave it to government.
1: Yeah so i mean in in my view it's an outdated form of thinking and and not many businesses will survive if if that's the mentality they approach as, as i mentioned before the the demands for improving business practices are coming from so many different directions from from Customers, so, you know, customers care, perhaps a bit skeptical at the moment about some of the claims, but customers care and want to, want to put their dollars in better places when they have the choice. Finance, you know, financiers, banks, they care about, um, what's happening now on, on, in a range of ESG factors. So business will get harder for companies that aren't, Aware of their impact and aren 't trying to improve them and, and being transparent about about their impact and i mean as, aside from that, making misleading statements will be unlawful no matter what your philosophy is <laughs> and and so it could be expose you to all sorts of litigation risks and and damages and fines but uh, but in any event that's that 's the stick i think in terms of the the carrot, you know, the research we're seeing is that businesses who, who take ESG factors seriously are, are having more success in the market.
0: And just so to finish up, what's what's the goal of the UN Global Compact Network in Australia? What are you hoping to achieve? What would a successful next three, five years look like for you?
1: Yeah, so look, uh, all sorts of all sorts of things across the board, but on this particular issue of ESG washing and greenwashing. I think Really, our goal is to improve the quality and availability of of information about environmental sustainability issues in in the marketplace. I think that we're we're encouraging the business community to be bold, to be ambitious, um, to take steps, particularly on climate, but all areas of ESG. And so we want to see them doing that and sharing their sharing their journeys in appropriate ways. I think so encouraging that encourages companies to adopt sustainability sustainable practices that uh, will will give consumers the ability to, as I said, vote with their feet and, and support more positive business models. So I think really we're working to to sort of help raise awareness, bridge the bridge the potential gap between the business community and the regulatory community, and you know raise raise the standards of conduct uh, by by all businesses in the market.
0: So where can listeners go to find out more? It does, as I said, at the top of the the episode, it does feel like this is the the biggest well-kept secret on sustainability out there. So where can listeners go and find out more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we have a number of resources on, on our website, the UN Global Compact Network Australia. I, I certainly recommend having a look at ACCC and ASIC's websites and latest guidance too. So as I mentioned, the ACCC guidance is in draft form at the moment. So you could, you could actually comment. But in my view, the eight principles they set out there are really sensible, um, principles, uh, to, to sort of inform your conversations, inform your thinking in this area.
0: Dan, thank you so much for your time. I think that's been really fascinating. It's such a big topic and it's impacting every organisation. So I think there's a lot in there for people to take away. So I really appreciate you coming on.
1: Thanks for having me, Paul. Always happy to talk about these issues.
0: You've been listening to Smoke Signal, Australia's first podcast dedicated to the public relations sector. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and do share the podcast with others in the profession. I'm Paul Cheel, and I look forward to continuing the conversation on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening.